At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You can't leave Eleven. Where is Dr. Owens? Dr. Owens had a change of heart. I know you wish to go to him, and there's nothing I can do to stop you from forcing open that door. But if my men hear you coming, they will kill him. And alone, you will never find your way out of this desert to your friends. Here's what we're going to do. You and I are going to complete our work together. And when I decide that you are ready, we will return to Hawkins together, Papa and daughter. Why are you doing this? Because there's no other choice. There is a choice. Only one that is right. Then you make the right choices. I try. Did you make the right choice with Mama? Or 50. Your mother was sick, Eleven. She was a danger to herself and to others. She brought a gun into the hospital. She killed a man. A hospital? No. A prison. Everything I have done was for your own good, for your own protection. And Henry, you kept Henry in that lap with the children. Was that for our good? Was that a right choice? I had no idea what Henry would do. I cared for you. I loved you. I loved all of you. Even Henry? Yes. I was trying to help Henry, to understand him. Yes. Yes. I cared for him. Even after what... what he did? Yes, because I knew I had failed him. So this morning, you said you believed he was always alive in the darkness. Is that why I was searching the darkness? Was I looking for him for Henry? We were focused on the Soviets. You knew that. 
must not tell the truth. Henry said that. And now you trust Henry. Henry, who's manipulated you like some puppet. You are the one who released him from his prison. You. And now you are angry with yourself and you're taking your anger out on me and you're risking everything. No, you. You have risked everything. You have lied. You made me look for him. The gate. The mind flare. So many dead. And all because of you. Because you could not stop. You could not let him go. I came here to try and understand who I was. To see if I... If I was the monster. Now I know the truth. It is not me. It is you. You are the monster. Greetings, stranger friends, and welcome back to Stranger Danger. Okay, let's all let out a little breath and just kind of decompress. It's been a week, a week since the final two episodes, a week since Stranger Things 4 ended but even though Stranger Things 4 is behind us, Stranger Danger 4 is still going strong. I took a few days, uh, was on vacation, uh, took a few days to not podcast. Just kind of step away from the microphone for a moment, spend some time with my wife and my dog, uh, go to the beach, read a, a book, an actual novel. Of course, Superman and Batman was in it, but it was still a novel, not a comic book, and uh, just kind of decompressed. But that didn't stop me from, on the Friday of my vacation, waking up early 
to watch uh, the episode chapter eight and then staying up late to watch chapter nine and staying off my phone for the entire Friday, July 1st. But we all know at this point uh, what happens. We all know um, how everything ends and where we think possibly everything is going, but we're not there yet in Stranger Danger, are we? So let's sit back, let's relax, and let's go back and talk about Chapter 8, Papa. Chapter 8 picks up right back in Eleven's mind, back in her memories. While she's currently floating in the Nina tank, her mind is back in the Hawkins lab, back in the moment right after she defeated Henry Creel, the moment she opened some strange door to some strange world and ripped apart the young man she now knew as one. And what were seemingly his ashes were left to get swallowed by that red, glowing mouth. Eleven is there, covered in blood, staring into that crimson abyss. The crack she opened already beginning to heal itself and close the connection between worlds as the door behind her opens. The light turns on, and there is Dr. Brenner, walking into the room, seeing the aftermath of what just happened. And once again, we hear him ask her, What have you done? Eleven turns and stares at him, still breathing quite heavily. But her rapid inhales and exhales begin to slow down as the world around her also slows. And she collapses to the ground, unconscious. We transition over to another memory of the Hawkins lab. An older memory, not of Eleven, but of a young Henry Creel. Henry, Vecna, One, whatever you want to call him. He's still showing Nancy Wheeler who or what he truly is. He's in a room, both his arms strapped down as a younger Brenner with darker hair is finishing up his... Zero, zero, one, tattoo. I wonder if Seven ever realized how badass his or her James Bond tattoo was. Brenner is telling Henry, Hey, see, that's not so bad. There's nothing to be afraid of. But then he says, Is there, Nancy? Why don't you take a seat? Brenner turns to face her, and we see his eyes are an icy blue. This is clearly Vecna toying with Nancy. She immediately runs out of the room and runs down the bloodied hallway. We cut to the real Nancy. She's still in the upside-down version of Eddie's trailer. She's still in a trance, and Steve is trying to wake her up continuously calling her name. Stay with me, okay? Whatever you guys are doing up there, hurry! Erica runs down the hall. Steve says you need to hurry! Yeah, no shit! We're trying, we can't find anything! Seriously, what is all this shit? I mean, what are you even looking for? Madonna, Blondie, Bowie, Beatles, music! We need music! This is music! 
Eddie holds up an Iron Maiden tape. It's from 1983, the album Peace of Mind. I know this because I may have said before that Iron Maiden is my favorite band. And I agree with you, Eddie. This is music. In fact, Iron Maiden tweeted out a screenshot and said, We agree, Eddie. Meanwhile, back in Nancy's mind, she's still running, trying to escape Vecna. But she just runs into a dead end, a door completely barred shut. And now Vecna is behind her. Slowly lumbering his way down the hallway. What are you doing? It's not time for you to leave. But Nancy's not going to give up. She's literally ripping the wood off the bar door to try to escape. Now you see where I've been. I would like very much to show you where I am going. She makes it through, and she's right back in the tattoo room. Right back with old Blue Eyes Brenner. Take a seat, Nancy. The lights go out. And when they come back on, Nancy's now in that tattoo chair, but she's not held down by straps. No, no, those disgusting vines are wrapped around both her arms and her legs, holding her in place. Vecna is now there. He saunters over to stand right there above her and leans down to be face to face with her. I want you to tell Eleven. I want you to tell her everything you see. We see the Creel house cracking apart. She sees a gate, but no, no, it's not just a gate. It's, it's Hawkins. Hawkins is splitting apart. She sees fire. She sees just devastation. We hear the chiming of the clock. Tell her everything. And then suddenly, she awakens. She falls back, and Steve helps her so she doesn't hurt herself. He keeps saying, it's okay. It's okay, I'm here. And then we fade out to the opening credits. After the credits, we're back in Soviet Russia. The Demogorgon monster that Hopper and Anatov, Enzo, I'm not sure still what to call him, but the monster they escaped from is still in the prison yard, writhing in pain and struggling as the spear is still lodged in his mouth face. Guards are lining up above, rifles raised, ready to open fire. The main guard, that dude with the lighter, He's on his walkie-talkie, calling, asking anyone what the hell is going on. In the control room, Murray has one of the guards at gunpoint, and he tells him to tell the other guards that the prisoners are contained and uh, they're working on the power. So, like, nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Enzo, I guess that's what I'm calling him. I don't know. I go back and forth, I feel like, in all my notes. But Enzo is talking to what I guess is like a prison scientist. I don't know. I see a lab coat. And I think scientist or evil doctor, maybe he's a little bit of both. 
uh, but he's asking him where these doors lead. And the man says to the cell block, but Enzo doesn't like that answer. He yells that he needs a safe way out of there. And while he's doing this, Yuri, still tied up and gagged, is trying to say something, but Enzo just snaps at him. Yuri really is like the comic relief of this group. Usually it's Murray, but right now it's, it's, that, it's that, that dastardly Yuri. The camera pans over, and there's our two favorite adults in the show, Joyce and Hopper. What would be their shipper name? Like, would we combine Byers and Hopper and, and call them Bopper? I doubt I originated that, but I also doubt I'm young enough to use the term shipper. But anyway, they're sitting off in the corner, and it looks like Joyce is patching Hopper up after old Mouthface slashed his arm up a bit. Guess you got my message, huh? Oh, no, I just have always wanted to visit the Soviet Union with Murray. You two getting along? He's the Starsky to my hutch. Thought you were dead. Thought I lost you. I did lose you for eight months. We had a funeral. Anybody show? Are you kidding? You're the hero of Hawkins. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I always felt it'd be easier to like when I was dead. How about Elle? She's good. She misses her dad. We all do. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but apparently they can climb, too. So that was just a great little quiet moment between Bopper... Okay, that's it. That's the last time I'm going to use that. Between Joyce and Hopper. Uh, but it immediately gets broken up by Murray, who noticed on the security monitors that the Demogorgon outside was able to climb out of the prison yard and out onto that balcony area. We cut outside to that exact spot where the monster is now standing face to face with the prison guards who all have their gun raised. All except for lighter guard. That's what I'm calling this guy. The guy with the lighter. You, you, we've seen him a bunch of times. The monster is making its way towards them, closer, closer. And the guard is like, he has the balls to tell them all to lower their weapons, lower your weapons. Is this guy out of his mind? The Demogorgon continues to walk at them. And the guys, the guy keeps saying, lower your weapons, don't shoot. And the only thing they don't listen to is this direct chuck because blam, 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 blam. They just start, they let loose in a storm of bullets. All the while, the guard behind them is still yelling at them to stop. Inside, while they're all standing around the monitor watching it like it's 3 a.m. and Netflix was just about to release it, uh, they hear a sound coming from behind them. And Murray looks a little freaked out. He says, please tell me we don't have another one of those things. Back on the balcony, since they all started firing at once, guess what? They all needed to reload at the same time. And that was all it took for Mr. Mouthface to attack. He took out Lighter God first, but you have to assume uh, that he didn't let those other guys just clock out and head home after a long day of work. My assumption is they are all dead. Now, inside, Murray steps up. This is kind of a funny moment. They hear the banging behind the door, and Murray holds his gun up, 
like he's James Bond and a second James Bond reference. And he stands forward like he's got this, you know, bravado uh, and he's ready to go look what's behind door number one. And without even thinking, Hopper just takes the gun from him and steps uh, in front of him. And did you notice that look on Murray's face? Like, hey, what, what, what's going on here? Like the man, uh, he, he is really is brave and he really was ready to stand up to danger, which is much different than the man we first met, the man who wouldn't let people into his home without getting uh, visual and audio confirmation of who they were. But Hopper was not about to let him take the lead. And you could see he was like, wait, what the hell? That lab coat guy, he, they're, they're going up these steps now. He's like, you can't go in there. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. I'm thinking, oh, now it's too dangerous? But Hopper goes right up the stairs. He opens the door with the, and he holds his gun up ready for whatever he finds. But what does he find? He finds another Demogorgon strapped down to a table, freaking out and struggling to get free. They all just stare at it for a moment. You can see it's been cut open. It looks like the chest was spread open with, with like a rib spreader, something like, something like that. Isn't that what it's called? They use it in surgery. The thing was being dissected by the commies, dissected while it's alive. In a weird kind of way, I, I almost felt bad for this monster, this little mouth face. It looks like he was either super pissed or he was really in pain, really suffering. Now, Jimmy Hopper, on the other hand, he didn't uh, seem to feel bad. He just walked up and, and put a bullet right in its mouth face. And now it's dead. But Hop notices something else in there. There's way more than just two Demogorgons in this gulag. No, this place had more, way more than that. Either dead or unconscious, floating in these tanks with these yellowish liquid. Uh, maybe there were five or six of them. I wasn't sure. And Murray said it right when he was like, what the hell are they doing? And I'm thinking to myself, what are they doing? Are they planning on dissecting all of them? Are they seeing if they can recreate them, if they can control them, use them as weapons, like the one they, you, you think is what they're doing with the prison yard one? That one that is still out there, by the way, and no longer has a spear sticking out of its, uh, you know, its mouth face. Now, they're all in shock with what they see, but then Harper notices something else because, of course, there has to be even more craziness. Now, behind multiple doors in these thick panes of glass, there is this, this thing, this storm of dirt, and sand, or shadow, dark matter just whirling around like it's one of those air tunnels people jump in when they want to pretend to go skydiving. It's swirling and whirling, and if, if you could give it an emotion, it seems like it's pissed off, if that's even possible. Murray, Hopper, and Joyce are just staring at it, and then they're startled when Enzo, or slash Antonov, yells, hey, behind them, he found something. It's a floor grate, which is, you know, it's, well, it's great. It's a great grate. They all pile in there to make their escape. And as they make their hopeful escape in this floor grate, the camera pulls back and we see one more visual of the swirling, whirling, angry, scary shadow dust monster. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We leave Russia for now. We've gone back to America. We're deep below the Nevada desert in a place I like to call Nina. And whoa, whoa, do they have to paddle 11 again? Did her heart stop? Doctors are working on her, checking on her, her breathing, her blood pressure. Uh, but she does seem to regain consciousness. Uh, they're giving her oxygen. She seems to be stabilizing. She reaches up and takes the oxygen mask off her face. And as she does that, she has this quick flash memory of her mother saying, Hi, Jane. She slowly sits up, then looks at the Nina tank. She gets out of the bed, walks over, and stands before the mighty tank. With a raise of her hand, she closes her eyes. And as lights flicker, the beast of a tank begins to rise breaking out of some of the clamps that were supporting it. I don't know if they were clamps, that's probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean. The tank is huge, and it was bolted down, and still she was able to lift it. And just as easily as she lifted it, she was able to slowly bring it down and place it right back in its spot. As she stands there, with blood trickling down her nose, she can feel it. She's back, baby! She turns and she looks over at Brenner and Owens, and both of them are just staring back at her, probably in awe of what they just saw. We jump over to the Pizza Pals who are making their way to Nevada in Argyle's work vehicle. Remember, this isn't Argyle's personal car. This is the car he uses for his work. Seems like they've been driving forever because Jonathan can barely stay awake. He has to actually slap himself a couple times from dozing off. Sadly, I have been there. Along the road, Argyle sees a billboard for Surfer Boy Pizza. And he was surprised to find out that, whoa, they're expanding into Nevada. 
Watch out, Dominoes. Your dominoes are about to fall. In the back seat, Will and Mike are sitting there, and Will asks Mike how far Nina is from Vegas, figuring once they rescue Elle, they could stop there on the way back. She could make them super rich, and they'd never have to work. They could just play Nintendo and D&D for the rest of their lives. Now, as a quote-unquote adult, I have to say Will's idea of how to spend the rest of his time if he was rich is kind of amazing. I probably would say it would allow me to play Nintendo and podcast all day, but it's basically the same thing, right? Now, Will notices that his, you know, fun little idea isn't really making Mike smile like I think he was intending to. We're going to make it, Mike. She's going to be okay. Yeah, I know. I, I know she is. But, but what if I, after all this is over, she, she doesn't need me anymore? Of course she'll still need you. She'll always need you, Mike. I keep telling myself that, but I, I don't believe it. I mean, she's special. She was born special. Maybe I was one of the first people to realize that. But the truth is, when I stumbled on her in the woods, she just needed someone. It's not fate, it's, it's not destiny, it's just simple dumb luck. And, and one day she's gonna realize that I'm just some random nerd that, that got lucky that Superman landed on his doorstep. I mean, at least Lois Lane is an ace reporter for the Daily Planet, right? But... Sorry. No? No, it, it, it's so stupid giving everything that's going on. It's just, I, I don't know, I, I just... Uh... You're scared of losing her. Can I show you something? She commissioned it, basically. I mean, she told me what to draw. Anyway, my point is, see how you're leading us here? You're guiding the whole party, inspiring us. That, that's what you do. And see your coat of arms here? It's, it's a heart. And I know it's sort of on the nose, but, but that's what holds this whole party together, heart. Because, I mean, without heart, we'd all fall apart. Even Elle, especially Elle. These past few months, she's been so lost without you. It's just she's so different from other people and when you're when you're different sometimes you feel like a mistake. But you make her feel like she's not a mistake at all. Like she's better for being different. And that gives her the courage to fight on. If she was mean to you or, or she seemed like she was pushing you away, it's probably just because she's scared of losing you, just like you're scared of losing her. And, and if she was going to lose you, I, I think she'd rather just get it over with quick, like, like ripping off a band-aid. So yeah, Elle needs you, Mike, and she always will. Yeah? <laughs> yes, that was a long clip, but it was worth it. This is a long episode. That was a great moment, a very pivotal moment, I feel like, in Will and also actually in Jonathan, even though he says nothing and is not even part of that conversation. 
first, uh, Will finally shows someone the painting he's been working on. And it turns out it was something that Eleven commissioned, but it is the party. That's what it is. It's the party members. And Will pointed out to Mike, notice who's leading it. That's you. And notice the heart on your, your crest. I think it's on his shield or on his armor. Showing, and he said it's a little on the nose, but you're the heart of this group. You bring everybody together. And he says, you know, L, uh, he's outwardly talking about Eleven, saying she's being, she feels different. She's alone. Maybe she feels like a mistake. But come on. You have to think, he's not really just talking about Eleven, is he? Take L out of everything he says and just replace it with me and I. And I feel like, I feel like he ha- it has the same meaning. And you can see it. You can see that, you know, in his eyes, uh, he's trying to hide his tears. And Jonathan, now fully awake, he can see that his brother's crying through the rearview mirror. It's actually an incredibly touching moment. Jonathan just looking at his brother thinking, you know, I think he heard what he said. And I think he's trying to process it and be like, oh, my God, you know, is my brother trying to say what I think he's trying to say? And is he does he feel alone? Have I been there enough for him? I don't want to say it's a sad moment because I feel like Will was opening up to Mike there, uh, even though I don't think Mike was quite realizing that it was happening. He was he was he was taking more at face value, talking about, um, you know, Eleven needing him. But uh, and also he thought it was pretty great, you know, uh, showing off that painting. But, I, you know, you think, is, is that Will trying to come to terms with who his true self is? Is that Will? Uh, but he's also trying to come to terms with everything and this world around him that's changing. His friends are changing. And he's afraid he'll be left behind, maybe because he's different, too. Okay, maybe it's a little bit of a sad moment, but I just feel like it's a touching moment. Uh, and, and I love that while Mike may not have picked up on it, Jonathan, you could definitely see... Uh, that he felt like something was going on with his little bro. We jump back into the past, into the rainbow room, moments after that strange red glowing doorway closed. Dr. Brenner approaches the wall, whole again, except for cracks in the wall tile. He puts his hand up to touch the space, seemingly mesmerized. He turns to look into the main room to see young Eleven, Lil-El, still unconscious. This isn't Elle's memory. It couldn't be, since she had passed out. No, this is Brenner's memory. And now we're in the present, where Martin is explaining things to Eleven. After the attack, you fell into a coma. Like when you had pushed yourself beyond your limit and it very nearly destroyed you. But that is where your similarities ended. What you displayed that day was beyond anything I'd ever imagined, a potential I'd only dreamed of. When you awoke, something had been lost, your memories, along with whatever else you'd found within yourself that day. But I knew then, just as I knew today, that your powers had not been lost. They just needed a spark. 
that day. You awakened something else. A doorway to another world. I always thought that Henry was out there. Hiding in the darkness. I didn't know for sure. Not beyond a feeling. Until now. Whoa, did Brenner just say what I think he said? Well, first, let's go back. He talks about the um, what Eleven went through with Henry. When she woke up from it, she had no memory of it. So that blocked memory has been gone all these years and only came back with Nina. But he also said... Um, it, what also was was missing was whatever was within you at that time. And I think he meant the incredible um, uh, display of power that she had. And he says, but I knew how to bring that back in you. And that's where they showed the testing with uh, the Coca-Cola can and the things we saw in, in flashbacks back in the original Stranger Things. Uh, but the big thing I got is that they're tying... Uh, I think what they're trying to say is they're tying the original, like, experiments. Uh, yes, I mean, we, we saw them looking for Russian um, men, uh, but we also, it also seems like Brenner was looking for Henry. He knew Henry was lost into this strange doorway. And when another doorway, another gate opened, the curiosity was there. He had Eleven looking in the void. He sent soldiers through these doors, through these gates, looking, thinking that one or Henry is out there. It, it, it has to be. I also found it, I, I wasn't sure. I was like, wait a second. He's calling him Henry. He never calls Eleven Jane, but he's calling this, uh, this fella Henry. And I thought, is that weird? But maybe not, because since he was an orderly at the end, not part of the experiments, uh, I, I assume he must have stopped calling him one at one point and only referred to him by his name. But that's just, just a guess on my part. Uh, right after Brenner tells Eleven this, Owens comes up and says, you know, he's claimed three victims so far. He tells him basically what's, he tells her basically what's going on back in Hawkins. Uh, but Brenner explains that uh, with every victim, Henry's putting cracks in barriers between our worlds, chiseling away. It was a very dramatic breaking of a number two pencil as he showed um, like these little fissures, these little cracks until eventually crack. The pencil broke, and it was like, whoa. And he says at this point, when the dam bursts, Hawkins will fall. Well, with that, Eleven wastes no time. She jumps right off her hospital bed and hurries back to her room. I think, oh, she's ready to leave right now, but no, no, no. She wants to know what's going on back in Hawkins. She puts the water in the sink on. And I'm thinking, oh, that's nice. She wants to freshen up, compose herself, splash a little water in her face. No, 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 no. She just needs the white noise because she needs to go find them. She needs to enter the void. 
She needs to see for herself to check on her friends. And I feel like she's getting stronger and better at this because she doesn't even need a blindfold anymore. She just puts the water on, sits on the bed, closes her eyes, focuses, and heads into the void. We go back to Hawkins, back to Max's trailer. Nancy is telling them what Vecna showed her, what Vecna wanted her to relay to Eleven and to all of them. He showed me things that haven't happened yet. The most awful things. I saw a dark cloud spreading over Hawkins. Downtown on fire. Dead soldiers. And this, this giant creature with a gaping mouth. And this creature wasn't alone. There were so many monsters. An army. And they were coming into Hawkins. Into our neighborhood. Our homes. And then he showed me my mom. Holly. Mike. Sydney. We were all. Whoa. She is describing a lot more than what we saw. No wonder she's so freaked the F out. Wait, wait a second. Nancy, uh, did you forget about your dad? Is, is your dad okay? Steve speaks up as, uh, she exp- after she explains this and says, it's okay. It's, uh, he's just trying to scare you. It's not real. And she said, not yet. But there was something else. He showed her gates. Four gates spreading across Hawkins. They looked like the one outside of Eddie's trailer, but, but they didn't stop growing. And this wasn't the upside-down Hawkins. This was the actual Hawkins. Max speaks up and says four chimes. Vecna's clock, it always chimes four times, exactly. He's been telling us his plan this whole time. Lucas says, Four kills, four gates, end of the world. Dustin says if that's true, he's only one kill away. And of course, Eddie says exactly what I would say. Jesus Christ. They send Max to try calling California again, trying to get to Mike, to a will, to Jonathan, but mostly trying to get to Eleven. But what they don't know is that Eleven is already there. She's with them in the void, watching them. We see Eleven in the blackness, seeing all her friends. She sees them in a mix of the void and the trailer. It almost looks like they're in a stage play. But this play is only for Eleven. She sees them talking about the phone, always being busy, and how Joyce is always on the phone for work. But Max is convinced, busy for three days, No way. Something is wrong. It can't just be a coincidence. It can't be. 
back in the full trailer now, Nancy feels like whatever is happening in Lenora is connected to all of this. But Vecna can't hurt them. Not if he's dead. We have to go back in there. Back to the upside down. Whoa, whoa, no, no, nope. no, no, no. What? Nope, no, 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 let's think this through, okay? What is here to think through? We barely made it out of there in one piece. Yeah, because we weren't prepared. But this time, we will be. We'll get weapons and protection. We'll go through the gate, we'll find his lair, and we'll kill him. Or he'll kill us. The only reason that you survived is because he wanted you to. He's not scared of us. And for good reason. We were wrong about Vecna. Henry, one. Sorry, what are we calling him now? One. Vecna. One. Henry. Right. We've learned something new about Vecna slash Henry slash one. He's a number like 11, only a sick, evil male, child-murdering version of her with really bad skin. But my, my, my point is, he's super powerful. He could turn us inside out with a snap of his fingers. It's not a fair fight. So then why fight fair? You're right. He's like 11. But that gives us an upper hand. We know 11's strengths and weaknesses. Weaknesses? When L remote travels, she goes into this sort of trance-like state. But the same is true of Vecna. That would explain what he was doing in that attic. Exactly. When he attacks his next victim, I'll bet you he's back in that attic. Physical body defenseless. Defenseless, yeah. What about the army of bats? Right. True, we'll have to find a way past them, distract them somehow. And uh, how do we do that exactly? No idea. But once they're gone, he doesn't stand a chance. It'll be like slaying sleeping Dracula in his coffin. That all sounds good in theory, but there is no pattern to Vecna's killings. I mean, at least not one that I can decipher. We don't know when he's going to attack next. We don't even know who he's going to attack. Yeah, we do. I can still feel him. I'm still marked. Cursed. I ditch Kate Bush. I draw his focus back to me. Max. You can't. He'll kill you. I survived before. I can survive again. I just... I need to keep him busy long enough so that you guys can get into that attic. And then he can chop his head off, stab him in the heart, blow him up with some explosive dust and cooks up. I honestly, I really don't care how you put this asshole in his grave. Just whatever it is, whatever you do, try not to miss. So much going on there. Nancy's first thought is we need to go back and kill Vecna. Not not stay away from him, not, not run, not hide. We need to be the aggressor. We need to go and attack him at his house. Okay, that's, that's like uh, Brave 101. And then you got Max who's like, uh, yeah, we know who he's going to go after next. He's going to go after me. So um, use me as bait, basically, is what she's saying, which is crazy brave. I would be like, oh, um, he might come after me next. So um, I'm going to just keep listening to my tape and, uh, you know, good luck with everything. Tell me how it goes. Uh, You could see Lucas wants no part of that. He does not like this idea at all. And, And Dustin thinks like, you know, should be easy. All we have to do is distract all these bats. And I like when um, uh, Eddie gets up and says, how do we do that? He's like, I don't know. And Eddie just sits right back down. That was pretty funny. Um, so Dustin, you know, he did 
uh, you know, come up with the, 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 a good thought, though, that while he's doing his killings, he's in this psychic trance, which is a good time to attack. It's just how do you get by the bats? How do you make sure that he's in this trance at this right time without endangering Max more than uh, you need to? And how are you going to kill him? The scene ends with Eleven realizing her friends back in Hawkins are in severe danger. Things are really heating up in Hawkins, so let's turn the temperature down a bit to a cold and snowy field back in Soviet Russia. In the middle of that field, we see some movement. Something, something's coming out of the ground. It's a sore cover, and I'd recognize those dirty hands anywhere. Those are Hopper's hands. He climbs out of the hole, he pulls Joyce out, then Enzo and Murray get out as well. They turn to see, off in the distance, the prison. They are far, far beyond the walls. They made it out. They escaped. Whew! Glad we don't have to worry about going to that place anymore. Oh, but wait. The gate to get in and get out. Remember those guys? Well, they're playing cards and enjoying themselves until one of them hears something. Is, is that an engine I hear off in the distance and wait is that a horn honking the guard goes outside to see what's going on whoa 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 it's a van beeping and definitely not slowing down inside we hear Murray he is all excited until the guards come out and start opening fire on them Thank God they got away. You okay? Yeah. You okay? Okay, I'm great! Woo! Oh, nothing like a little prison escape to get your day started. Am I right or am I right? We're not out of the woods yet. My people do not take kindly to escapes. They'd be hunting us. Yeah, well, we weren't exactly planning on sticking around. Where's the plane you came in on? That plane, um, that crashed. Crashed? His fault. Word of warning, Jim. That man is more slippery than an eel dipped in baby oil. I wouldn't trust a word out of his mouth. My tongue. My tongue. I, I, I can't spend my tongue. We need to get out of here. Back to the States. Can you get us to another plane? Now? You're asking for Yuri's help? After dragging him through miles of shit tunnel, I could have told you we are going wrong way hours ago. You Neanderthal! Watch your mouth, or I am gonna take this. I'm gonna rub it along the bottom of my shoe, and I'm gonna jam it down your throat. Go ahead! But then you'll never make it out of my country alive. So you can get us out? For a glass of water and hot steam bath. And five-fifth stack of American dollars. Yuri will fly you to moon. You'll make another demand, you double-crossing mudak. And I'll decorate the roof of this van with your brains. Why so angry, camarade? 
rough couple of days for you, I'm sure. But now you are free. Everything works out. Happy ending for everybody. No? For you. That will very much depend on how you answer. Comrade, will you take us to America? Yes? Or no? It's interesting because after everything that uh, Yuri went through and put them through, uh, and the fact is, if he wasn't a pilot, they probably would have just left him at the prison. But the fact that they still need him and um, they really have the upper hand, but he still is like, I'll do it for you for a big stack of American dollars. And he also is still trying to play like the fun friend. Like he, he started off nice and then he turned on all of them and now they need him again. And he's like still being that cocky kind of, uh, you know, over the top, uh, boisterous guy. Now, Hopper, he would definitely rough Yuri up and, and beat him up pretty good. But Enzo Antonov, I don't doubt it when he says he will kill him if he doesn't, uh, if Yuri doesn't get them out of America. And also, how about Murray in that escape? He is like, he is like running on adrenaline. He is like this, this macho guy now. It is, it is hilarious to see, and it's like awesome to see him kind of just get more and more brave, it seems like. I'm not saying he was ever like not brave because, look, he was doing stuff in the mall last year in Russia. But I don't know. There's something about him. It just seems like he has this, this extra level that he's going to recently, and, and I love it. So we jump back to Hawkins and to Max's trailer. Eddie shows everybody a listing in the yellow pages. Now, young people, young people of Earth, I'm sure I've said this before, but the yellow pages was our Google for searching businesses in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, there was a listing there for an army supply store called The War Zone. And the image was actually pretty funny. It was like a generic looking R Rambo guy. And I think... Robin said, look at this generic Rambo guy. He's holding a machine gun. And as Eddie says, they have everything you need for killing things. Like, that should be on their sign. He tells them all, that this place is far enough outside of Hawkins. As long as they stay off the main roads, they should be able to avoid cops and, of course, angry hicks, which is a major worry for them. Erica brings up a good point, though. Maybe if you want to avoid angry hicks, you don't go to a store called... The war zone. But Nancy thinks it's, a, it's worth the risk because they need all that stuff. And Lucas says he agrees. But Dustin wonders, is it really worth the time? Think about how much time it will take. It will take all day to bike there and back. You said anything about bikes? Well, you got some sort of car we don't know about? Yeah, it's not exactly a car, Steve. It's not exactly mine, but uh, it'll do. Hey. Red, uh, you got a ski mask or a bandana, something like that? The Michael Myers mask, or, or is it technically the shape mask? Look it up. Both, I think, are kind of right. 
I love seeing that callback back to uh, Stranger Things 2. And I also love it because it's just kind of silly seeing this as the solution for Eddie to hide, you know, in broad daylight. He leads his team of teens through the trailer park, as I said, in broad daylight to this camper. A camper with two people up sitting right outside watching TV. He jumps in through the window and the rest of the Grand Theft Auto crew pile in right after him. Where'd you learn how to do this? Oh, when the other dads were teaching their kids how to fish or play ball, my old man was teaching me how to hot wire. Now, I swore to myself I wouldn't wind up like he did, but now I'm wanted for murder and soon Grand Theft Auto. So, uh, yeah, I'm really living up to that Munson name. Uh, Eddie, I'm not sure I love the idea of you driving. I'm starting to sucker. Harrington's got her. Don't you, big boy? He starts that bad boy up with a bang, literally. The folks outside realize that there are a bunch of kids in their trailer, their camper, their home. Everybody hold on. Steve floors it, and even though the couple try to chase them down, there's just, there's just no way. And off they drive, the camper crew. But if they're looking to avoid angry hicks, that might not be the best start. As they drive off, we slide on over to Nevada in the desert, back to the Nina Project. Eleven, after seeing what she saw in the void, is walking down the hall with fury in her eyes. My friends, I saw them. You told me they were safe. They are not safe. Oh, whoa, whoa, okay. Uh, give us a second, please. Please. Okay, okay, first, first things first. We're not gonna let anything happen to your friends, okay, kiddo? I will personally make sure of that. Did, did you see where they were? They were, at, they were at Max's house. They're planning to kill him, to kill Henry. Okay, okay. This, does this Max have a last name? Max, Max Mayfield. Okay, okay, so here's what's gonna happen. I have people in Hawkins, and I'm gonna send some of them over to Max Mayfield, and they will stop him. Her. From, stop her and the rest of them from whatever foolish, although well-intentioned mission that they're attempting here, all right? No. No, do not send your men. Send me. Your friends are not prepared for this fight, Eleven. And neither are you. You must understand, when one kills, he doesn't simply kill. He consumes. He takes everything from his victims, everything they are and everything they ever will be. Their memories, their abilities. And we do not know where he's been these lost years. But if he has survived this long, we can only assume that he has grown in strength. To underestimate him, to act rashly, would be very dangerous. I don't want to upset you, Eleven. What you've accomplished is nothing short of a miracle. 
you came to me broken. And you've learned to walk again. But if you want to stop one, you will need to do more than walk. You will need to do more than run. You will need to fly. And you're not ready. No, no Brenner, I think you're not ready. You're not ready to let her go. I know you say, oh, Henry's too strong and you don't understand. He actually he doesn't just kill people. He consumes them. Uh, you know, he talks about we don't know where he's been. We don't know what other power he powers he has. Like you've come to me broken. Uh, you've learned to walk, but you need to learn to run. You need to learn to fly. But she doesn't she doesn't care about that anymore. All she cares about is her friends. And her friends need her. She says she stopped him before. She can stop him again. Brenner says it, it's impossible. But Owens disagrees. Nothing is impossible, he says. Now, I think he's being literal about her getting back to Hawkins. He can make a few calls and probably get her back to Indiana by tonight. Brenner says that would be a grave mistake. But Owens thinks waiting is a grave mistake. And Brenner responds quite smugly, I might add, that is a risk they're going to have to take. But Owens, he's, he's not just going to sit there and take that. He reminds Brenner that we pushed her and she lifted this giant tank into the goddamn air. And anyway, it's not even her choice, remember? They agreed this is not going to be a prison. This was Eleven's call, her choice. That was the plan all along. Right, Doc? This is what Owens is yelling to Brenner. He says, you may not agree. But here she is, standing before us, making her choice. And he asks her again if she's sure she wants to do this. She nods her head and Owen says, okay, pack your things, say your goodbyes. God bless Dr. Sam Owens. Yeah, he didn't tell her about Brenner. Okay, maybe that was a little sneaky, but he did say, you know, no questions asked. You got to do this. You just got to come with me now and you have to accept what I'm going to show you. That, of course, being Dr. Brenner. That's the big whoa. But he did keep her promise to her. You want to leave? Say the word and you can leave. Owens heads off and she takes one last look at Brenner. He doesn't seem too happy. Eleven turns, heads off to go pack, leaving Brenner standing there, alone. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. We go back to the camper crew making their way to the weapons store in a stolen vehicle at my how they've grown. The entire scene is actually very touching, uh, very character-driven with everyone they feature. First, we have uh, uh, this nice little scene with Steve talking about having six kids. He's talking to Nancy, how, you know, driving that camper just made him think about, like, this, uh, this dream he had about having this brood of kids, and every summer they'd, they, they'd climb into this car and 
or this trailer, and they'd go uh, see the country. Nancy thinks it sounds nice, but, well, you know, maybe not the six kids part, which she thinks sounds like a nightmare. Steve's like, yeah, if I only had any practice, and he motions back to all the kids, and and she says, fair point. Think about it. All the babysitting duties that uh, Steve had done over the years may have prepared him for fatherhood in the future. Ah, that scene, that conversation right there, that was the moment my friend said, oh, man, Oh, God, they're going to do something to Steve. Oh, they're setting this up. What are they doing there? Talking about his future and his dreams as an adult. Oh, my God, that's the kiss of death. And I was just like, have faith. Have faith. Everything's going to be all right. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, God. Oh, my God. Now, in the back of the the camper, Lucas moves back to sit with Max, and he tells her an idea he has. He's like, look, two out of three kids who were attacked were seeing Miss Kelly, the guidance counselor. It's probably a safe bet that Vecner cursed another of her students. He thinks they should turn around, go back to her office, go through her files to look for any evidence of another person. You can see he's getting desperate. He, he wants to completely ditch the plan they have. And he wants to let Vecner find someone else, someone who's not Max, and let them deal with it. But Max shuts it down pretty quickly. She says, you know, we don't have time for that. Even if they did, they'd be putting a total stranger at risk. A stranger, by the way, who has no idea what they're up against. She does know. She's prepared. He uses her memories, her bad memories. So she'll just have to focus on happy memories. How? She's not entirely sure, but it's her mind. She just needs to push him away and hide in a good memory. Hide in the light. Lucas asks if she has a memory in mind, and she says, yeah. It was a time I I was happiest. And Lucas, he just, he couldn't help himself. He had to ask. Was I there? It's presumptuous of you. But yeah. Yeah, you might have been there. Okay, but the second you start to lift, I'm calling in Kate Bush. All right? Okay. Deal. Deal. It's just a really nice moment. I love seeing Max and Luke is kind of rekindling whatever it is they have, whether it is a romance, whether it's a friendship, um, just seeing them be good to each other and be nice to each other and enjoy each other again. And Lucas is really looking out for her. Uh, and he, to the point where he would just take another kid and say, let's, uh, why don't we sacrifice him? But, you know, Max, she just, she, uh, she can't do that. And, It's nice to hear that her memory does include Lucas in there. Now, I just want to say, uh, the song they're listening to, I'm a big James Taylor fan. Always loved him. Uh, My wife loves him. We actually saw him in concert years ago. Yes, you can like Iron Maiden and James Taylor. It's true. Our first dance at our wedding as husband and wife was a James Taylor song. And I just want to throw it out there that I don't think This song was chosen by accident. Not when the song features a lyric that says the plans they made put
put an end to you. But I always thought that I'd see you, baby, one more time again now. Thought I'd see you one more time again. There's just a few things coming my way this time around now. Thought I'd see Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We jump back over to cold Soviet Russia. We see our Russian rascals pulling up to a garage. I believe they're back in the town where Yuri has his storage church. Antonov, Enzo, tells Yuri if there's any funny business, he will not hesitate to kill him. In fact, he's just looking for an excuse to kill Yuri. Yuri jokes about Enzo. He's like being like a parrot, always repeating himself. And he wonders how Hopper shared a cell with this guy and didn't take an opportunity to smother the man. He then opens up his garage, his shed, storage space, whatever you want to call it, and he reveals a helicopter. A friggin' helicopter? Yes. Please tell me this is another poor joke. You said you had a plane. A plane! No, no, no. I, I told you I could fly you home. And Katinka can fly you home, little bird. She was named Katinka after my first lover. <laughs> Katinka also had very beautiful, very round buttocks. Much like this. This. Cannot fly us to America. Why not? As long as winds are not too strong and your military friends do not shoot us out of sky, we can make it to the coast. There, while we refuel, we skin deep in ice cold water and wash off this muck. Then we fly her rest of the way. Happy ending. Okay, what is the furthest Kachinka has ever flown? For me, she is still a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Not real Katinka, Godness, no. <laughs> that Katinka, no. But this Katinka, pretty much unspoiled. But I'm sure she will soar when given a chance. She just need a little tune-up. Okay, okay, so Yuri seems to have a plan. It might not be a great plan. It might not be a good plan. It might not even be a, a viable plan. But right now, it's something. Murray looked at Hopper and told him, you know, hey, Jim, I warned you. And, and Enzo's like, can we shoot him now? Is this okay? But Joyce brings up Owens. What about Owens? He's got to have contacts or spies there in Russia that could help. It is a great idea. Hopper asks if that's even possible. Can they call the states? Thankfully, Yuri has a phone. 
They don't call them landlines back then. It's just, just a telephone, a nice red telephone with a rotary dial. Enzo slash Antonov dials a number and explains to the operator that he needs to make a call to America so that he has a very sick relative he'd like to get in contact with. The operator asks for the number, and Joyce relays it to Enzo. 775-305-3450. And I'm not sure we got that full number before. I forget. But, unfortunately, this time the number doesn't lead anywhere. I tried calling, and it just hangs up. The one thing I can tell you is that the 775 area code is for the state of Nevada. So Owens has had people stationed at the Nina Project for quite some time, considering how long Joyce and Hopper had this number. I'm assuming it's the same number they had, uh, you know, last season. So after Enzo uh, gives the operator the phone number, he hangs up the phone. What are you doing? How exactly do you think this works? They will make the call for us, and then they will call us back. How long is that going to take? Five minutes, five hours, five days, who knows? And when we do get the call, assume the KGB will be on the other line, listening to everything you say, so... I suggest talking in code. Say the wrong thing, and they will be on us like flies on shit. Welcome to the Soviet Union. So that's it. That's the last time we see our Russian crew in this episode. And I guess the plan now is to just wait. Either wait for Yuri to fix up Katinka or wait for someone to call back from the U.S. Wait. And as you know, the waiting is the hardest part. We hop back over to Hawkins and to the war zone. You want guns? They got them. You want knives? They got them. You want, I don't know, arrows? They probably got them too. War zone. The gang of car thieves arrives at this sweet little shop and they head on in. Led by Erica, they got no time for fun. Let's buy a gun. So Erica, Robin, Max, Nancy, and Steve, still kind of just shirtless in that jean vest, probably fits right in. Uh, They're all going in there. And uh, yeah, so much for avoiding uh, angry hicks. The store is crawling with them. So they start stocking up. uh, Was that a blue light that Erica bought? It almost looked like a a bug zapper light. Uh, You see him buying kerosene. Uh, and, and Steve, it looks like he got a shirt and a jacket now. So sorry, everybody. The chest is no longer out for you at all to stare at. And speaking of staring, Robin is caught in her tracks as she looks over. And she sees Vicky from Band. She's there. The, the girl, you remember, the girl, the girl that Robin is crushing on. And she just stares at her. And then it looks like she's going to start to go over. But buzzkill. Vicky has a boyfriend, a boyfriend who really likes to kiss in public, a boyfriend who has terrible hair. Can I say that? Terrible hair. I, I know good hair. 
I, I've seen Steve Harrington. Sir, you are no Steve Harrington. But he's going full Gomez Adams on her, kissing her up and down, up and down, until she notices Robin, who embarrassingly just kind of runs off. Her boyfriend asks, who, who is that? Oh, it's someone from band, she replied. But you could see something in her eye. Like, she was wondering, what was that about? Or maybe she was hoping it was about something. All right, let's get to why we're really here. Guns. I've never actually fired a gun in my life. My late father-in-law, he was a hunter, and he had rifles, but I've never actually seen him shoot a gun either. I think when I was a kid, we did like a tour at a police station, and we saw a, a gun shot at a firing range. I think that happened, but that was really it. Uh, okay, fine. I had a BB gun, and I shot some cans with it, but nothing like what Nancy Wheeler's testing out. She looks like such a natural with that thing. Like She just knows what she's doing. She asked the employee, how much? He says, one twenty ninety nine, and I'll throw in 20 rounds of buckshot. No background check, I guess. So it just, you got the cash? We got the guns. And, and who is paying for all this stuff, actually? My guess is Steve has, like, mom or dad's credit card. Anyway, while Nancy's looking over the shotgun, we see out of the corner of our eye a part of a green jacket. And then we hear a very familiar, very annoying voice. Hey. Can I see this? Real pretty 357, please. Sure thing. Nancy realizes who it is, and she's like, uh-oh. He looks kind of a mess. Nancy Wheeler. Who would expect to find you here? Yeah, well, it's just scary times. In the store, Erica notices Jason and Nancy talking. I'm... Sorry about Chrissy. Want my advice? No, nobody wants your advice. Shotguns are not good for much of anything past killing small birds. I mean, they got power, sure, but not much range. And that's just going to force you into close range combat, and someone can just grab that barrel like this and redirect it. The douche gets right up in her face and grabs the shotgun she's holding. Meanwhile, Erica notices other guys from the basketball team, all on the store, all looking at weapons. I look nervous. Like I said, scary times. Hey, brother, he, uh, he here with you by chance? Mike? Mike. because he's he's in hellfire isn't he I don't know what you're talking about what about his friends they're here with you would you let go let go can I just say F that Jason F him right in his stupid face the guy is getting up Trying to intimidate this girl. By the way, you can't intimidate Nancy Wheeler, jerk face. Uh, oh, and looking for her brother. Now it makes sense that in the trailer, Dustin, Lucas, and Eddie are all waiting because they're all in hellfire. Sure, the town's looking for Eddie thinking he's a murderer, but they're also looking, looking for Lucas and Dustin because 
They're friends with the murderer, and they're also Satanists. And those Satanists, I'm saying that with quotes, uh, they're, they're wondering where everyone is. They're, they're waiting for them. Uh, but suddenly, the door cracks open, and they all pile back in with their purchases, but they are in a hurry. Erica tells Lucas, your old friends are here. And he knows what that means. So Steve jumps back in the driver's seat and they quickly hightail it the hell out of there. On the way out, they drive by the basketball pricks who are just leaving as well. But Jason seems to take a little interest in that Winnebago just as it drives by. I wonder, could there be like a report out there for a stolen Winnebago? Or maybe he saw who was driving? I don't know, but ooh, I hate his face. We leave Hawkins and head back to the open road, where we see our surfer boy pizza van cruising along. According to the map, it should be right up there on the right. But there's nothing there. There's got to be something there. A fence, a building, some sign of life. Argyle wonders, since when did we decide Nina was a building and not a small woman? Will is like, how is he still high? Jonathan is wondering if the coordinates are right. Maybe the longitude or latitude are wrong. Even geniuses make mistakes. He finally slams on the brakes and stops before they get any more lost. He goes to the back of the van and they spread out the map with, and so they could double check things. Meanwhile, Argyle just kind of wanders off, searching for Nina, the small woman. He just starts yelling her name out loud. I say her like there is someone named Nina. Uh, he just walks around, but, but then he notices something. Back at the van, double-checking the calculations, and yep, right there, brings it right back to the X they already made. According to the map, they're in the right place. But that doesn't make any sense. So no small woman named Nina, but you said any signs of life, am I right? Right. Well, these are no regular tire tracks, bro, Chachos. I mean, look at the tread on these monsters. They're fatties, and you know what that means. Military. We gotta go. Now look, based on the little, uh, knowledge I have of Argyle when I hear him say fatty attire is not the first thing that comes to my mind but he did a great job in finding this out my dude also if I saw like tire treads that are fat I don't think the first thing I would think of is government maybe those old Humvees I don't know but thankfully they've had enough experience with government that they know what it means but wait does that mean the government is already ahead of them? Yes. Yes, it does. We immediately go up high. Not as high as Argyle, but high above, overlooking the military as it's making its way to Nina. I think I saw four vehicles with soldiers and a helicopter flying above them. Not good, guys. Not good. Now, downstairs in Nina... 
Owens is on the phone with that woman who he's been working with, telling her his plan to get Eleven back to Hawkins. Seems like he needs her help in getting everything coordinated. And he also did remember to tell her to have someone check on Max Mayfield. Good on you, Owens. Good on you. Or at at least he tried to tell them. I don't think he ever got through. Because damn it, the line went dead. And that's not good. Suddenly, Owens is surrounded by... Wait, those aren't Sullivan's men. Those are the guards who are already working there with Brenner. What the hell is going on? Now, while this is happening, Eleven's getting dressed and she's ready to skedaddle. But before she gets the hell out of there, she goes back to look at Nina one more time, which turns out was a bad idea as the door slams behind her, locking her in. That's when we get that clip I played to start off this episode. Uh, where Brenner says, you can't leave Eleven. He's basically forcing her against her will to continue the treatment all in the quote-unquote for her own good vein, which is just bullshit. He's so manipulative in the way he tries to guilt Eleven into thinking that she was to blame for releasing Henry. He tries to manipulate her into thinking the only way is his way. And he actually threatens her with Owen's death. But she's no longer going to listen to this garbage. She says it was he who had her looking for Henry all those years. He is why all those monsters and all those deaths happened. Him. He is the monster. She tells him she's getting out of here. With Owens. And if you try to stop her, she will kill you. You go, girl. She turns without even waiting for the option of maybe him opening the door. And she sends that door flying off with her powers. She's ready to go. Oh, no. Brenner, out of nowhere, injects her with a syringe. A look of fear and panic comes to her face. She turns and flings Brenner back into the Nina tank. He smashes and hits the ground. She pulls the needle out of her neck, but it's too late. We see the needle and the damage done. Brenner looks up from the ground. He says, you'll soon see the truth, Eleven. She again uses her powers to lift him, slam him against the tank. This time he's stuck to it. His arms are spread wide and pulled back. It's almost like something you'd see one do or what what Eleven and One were doing to each other in the flashback. He screams in agony, but she can't hold on. She can't keep doing it. She can't hold him up. She can't focus. She, She finally succumbs to the injection, the sedative. She drops, and then immediately he drops. She's unconscious, but Brenner, he's able to pull himself up. At that point, we leave Nina Vada. I don't know if I like that. I I was trying something there. I'm not sure I'm going to ever say that again. And we head back over to Hawkins. The camper crew are now uh, in a grassy field. They have the camper there. And um, I also have the Warzone Warriors. I'm not sure I'm going to like that. 
uh, but they're they're prepping. Uh, no, not doomsday prepping. They're prepping for something real. A wizard monster man who wants to take over the world. We see Eddie and Dustin driving nails into metal garbage lids, making these kick-ass shields. Nancy is sawing off the barrel of her shotgun, hence the term sawed off. Max asks her if what she's doing is legal. Nancy says, actually, I think it's a felony, but it guarantees one thing. She won't miss. Back with Eddie and Dustin, they're, they're having a fun little moment where Eddie's being a little silly And then he gets really sincere and he tells Dustin, you know, never change, never change. And Dustin looks at him. He's like, I I don't have any plans to. Eddie yells up to the Sinclairs to see how their spears are doing. They're making spears by tying knives to sticks. Lucas gives a thumbs up, but Erica is a little more realistic because they're too loose. But Erica and Lucas actually have a nice conversation hidden under the insults of him always riding the bench at basketball games. Lucas points out, you seem to always go to these games. She tries to blame it on her parents, forcing her to go. But Lucas says, bullshit. Mom and dad can't make you do anything. And she admits, you know, even though he's a bench riding loser, he's still her brother. Just the facts. It's nice to see them having a moment where they're not getting on each other's nerves. While this is going on, Robin and Steve are funneling kerosene. At least I think that's what it is into empty booze bottles. Steve is still hung up on what he saw at the store. It doesn't make any sense. Vicky's boyfriend's in college, visiting on spring break, and the timing doesn't line up when when she rented Fast Times. Well, unless she has a horned-up brother, or maybe she's really into Judge Reinhold, Robin just wants him to drop it. With everything that's happening, the stakes of her love life feel spectacularly low. But Steve still holds out hope. And oh, look at that. They're actually making Molotov cocktails. How nice. Robin says, you know, not everything has a happy ending, and she's not just talking about failed romances. I have this terrible, gnawing feeling that it might not work out for us this time. You think we shouldn't be doing this? I think we're mad fools, the lot of us, but... But if we don't stop him, who will? We have to try, right? Yeah. It's killing back now. Slash Henry. Slash Warren. And with that, we leave Hawkins. And we head back to Ninaville. I don't know if I like that one either, but uh, I'm trying. We find Eleven as she is waking up. She has that mid-sleep look on her face where she's not quite sure where she is or how she got there. And then a wave of panic sets in as we see she has Brenner's shock collar torture device around her neck. She tries, without any luck, to get it off. Brenner's standing there, telling her, it's only a precaution. He never intends to activate it. 
The way Brenner looks blurry, I think Eleven still is a little woozy from whatever, whatever crap he injected her with. He tells her that he really hopes their fighting has come to an end. He knows she's angry with him, but it was the only way, the best way. Again, he is such a friggin' manipulator. I don't know how I ever, at one point, almost sided with this guy. Or maybe I did side with him. I don't know. I trusted him. I trusted this guy. What is wrong with me? Even now, at this moment, he's still manipulating her. But then, he thought he had the upper hand because of his men. But little did he know, there were other men coming with even uppier hands. What's going on? It's Sullivan. They found us. We see outside that indeed Sullivan and his men have arrived. And I assume they're just going to knock nicely and be let in for a nice little talk, maybe have a tea or a can of soda pop. No, we get a bunch of armed men with their weapons drawn while small explosives are being stuck to the door. The door is blown off its hinges and Sullivan is ready to make his way inside. Downstairs, they're on high alert. Other soldiers, soldiers for Brenner and Owens with their weapons drawn. One second, I hated them for turning on Owens and Eleven, but now I guess I'm rooting for these guys because they're going against Sullivan's small army. My guess or hope that most of these people are good. Only a handful of them were pricks who did Brenner's bidding and, you know, turned on Owens. Doctors are running away as soldiers get behind a table and take aim at the main entrance, at the foot of the elevator. Suddenly, it's calm and quiet. All you can hear is the alarm as we wait. It reminds me of that Darth Vader scene in Rogue One. And then... Boom. Suddenly, the door bursts open, and soldiers with shields and guns make their way in. And bullets, they're just flying everywhere, back and forth from both both sets of soldiers. Brenner rushes in to get Eleven. Eleven, we have to go. What is happening? They've come to kill you. He scoops her up and starts to carry her away, and the bullets are still flying. And then we see Sullivan just kind of walk down the hall, directing troops on which way to go. A bunch of soldiers go into the main Nina area and check everything out, uh, but Sullivan's right there with them, but they don't find anything. But another soldier comes back and tells them they found something that he's going to want to see. God damn, those idiots beat up and handcuff Owens, and now Sullivan's men have found him. Well, well. And what happened here? Hmm? Are mommy and daddy fighting? Let's try this again, shall we? Where's the girl? Oh, that girl? Yeah, she's already outside. Because of course, Brenner had a secret way out. Now, whether he just knew about it or he had it installed... That sneaky silver fox is already outside in the desert with Eleven. Whew. Well, glad that's over. Wait, this episode still has a lot of time left. Ooh, no, boom. Somebody just shot Brenner. Wait, am I on his side again? Oh my God, it's so hard to keep track. But he's keeping Eleven safe right now, so I guess I'm back on his side again? It's a helicopter. Somebody 
shot Martin from a friggin' helicopter, and they're still shooting at him. He starts running. He's already been shot, he's carrying a teenager, and he's running. Brenner must have had some amazing cardio routine. The bullets just keep whizzing by him, and he tries so hard to distance himself, tries to get away. But then another shot hits him and takes him down, and he tumbles, and along tumbles 11. Brenner manages to get up again, but then he's hit again, and he goes down. Eleven is still on the ground. She looks over and sees Brenner laying still. She just looks up and she sees the helicopter. The sniper from the chopper, he now has her in his sights. Victor 2 Sierra, this is Charlie Lima Golf. Do you copy over? Victor 2 Sierra, I copy over. We've got the target in our sights. Question permission to take the shot over. Jack, you don't have to do this. So I'm saying. Wait, 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 wait. I can put her in a, a coma. A medically induced coma. We have the drugs. We can, we can do it. We can do it right here. And we'll see if, if, if these murders keep happening. If you're right, the killing ends, and you can pull the plug on her. In fact, I'll do it myself. But if you're wrong about this, God, are we going to need her. Jack, don't do this. I'm begging you. Seems reasonable enough. Take it. You son of a bitch! No! You son of a bitch! Green light. Light her up. And as she's laying there, about to be shot, we hear, wait, is that honking? The hell? There she is! What? There she is! What? Where? On the ground, on the ground! Yeah. Yo, what are those dudes doing on the ground, man? Is that blood? Is that Victor 2 Sierra, we've got a shivy headed our way. Ignore it. Just take out the girl. Copy that. Ignore the shivy. Take the shot. The sniper focuses back on the shot where Eleven was laying down. But she's no longer there. Found you. He then moves the shot a little to the left. And we get one of my favorite shots of the entire season, or maybe ever in Stranger Things. An epic, faraway shot of Eleven standing there in his sights. And all we see is her from far off in the distance with her arm raised high at the helicopter. I have to tell you, when she did that, I actually cheered on the couch in, in the middle of the morning at my mother-in-law's house. I went, yes! And with the subtle motion of her hands, she starts getting the chopper to, to start to sway. The sniper takes a shot and he misses badly. The whirlybird is going crazy and wild, and all the shots are just hitting the sand around her. She slowly spins her hand, spinning in the helicopter. She, she moves her hand a little and rises it up. Higher. Higher. They can't control it. They're, they're losing control. They're out of control. And with a scream of anguish, she takes both her hands and slams them down. and down smashes the helicopter in an epic, fiery explosion of just hellish proportion. It is amazing. Eleven falls to her knees. In the distance, 
we see the pizza van, and out tumbles Mike, Will, Argyle, and Jonathan. She's in shock that they're all there. Her and Mike embrace, and then her and Will have a great hug too, and I love that. Argyle looks like he's on the verge of panic, and Jonathan says, they gotta go, they gotta get Eleven out of there right now. Hey guys, we gotta go. We gotta get you out of here. Suddenly, we hear a click, and her collar is unlocked. She takes it off, and she looks over. Brenner's lying there. He's, he's barely alive with a remote in his hand. He has finally set her free. Mike and Will see him, and can you imagine the thoughts going through their head as they're just finding out right now that Brenner has been alive all this time and he's part of this? She drops the collar and walks up to him. I want you to know I'm proud of you. So very proud. You are my family. Uh, Brenner, she already has a family. My child. He touches her nose and holds her face, and she does let him. I've only ever wanted to help you, to protect you. Everything I did, I did for you. I need you to understand. Please tell me you understand. thinks about it and that she puts his hand down and just tells him Goodbye, Papa. I love that she did not give him that final satisfaction she gets up and walks away leaving him to die I mean I assume he does die this time right right please I don't want to wish death well you know maybe I do want to wish death I don't know that's that seems morbid but you know it's Uh, Crazy times, right? They all jump in the pizza van and race off. We see Sullivan outside amongst the fire and debris and the, the bodies, and he sees the pizza van racing off. Oh, Jesus, Brenner's still alive. He rolls over one more time, and he sees the car and Eleven get away. Okay, now he's dead, right? He's gotta be dead now. The camera is now high above Brenner. We look down on him. You know, with everything he tried to accomplish, all the breakthroughs and the discoveries, but all the pain he caused while doing it, his last moments, his last moments of life are literally him dying alone in the dirt. 
That's how he winds up. That's his destiny. That's how it ends. Hawkins, we need to get to Hawkins. I know, and we will, but right now we need to get you somewhere safe. There's gonna be people behind us. No, Mike, we need to get to Hawkins tonight. We'll never make it, that's over 2,000 miles. We need to find a way. If we don't, they are going to die. Who's gonna die? L, who's gonna die? He, right now, he's the audience. Everybody watching is like, L, please, Duffers, tell us who is gonna die? Who indeed is going to die? And after Will says that, we get this last shot of everyone back in Hawkins. Our crew is driving along in the camper. We see them all sitting there quietly, thinking, stewing, waiting for what is about to happen. Some of the way they're dressed up reminds me of some of the characters from Red Dawn. I don't know if I'm overthinking it, but that's what it reminded me of. And they're ready, ready for the fight of their lives, ready for the battle for Hawkins, for the world. You see a lot of nervous faces in that car. As Steve Perry sings his ass off in the background, the Winnebago comes to a stop and out climbs Erica, Lucas, and Max. The Bago drives off as they go their separate ways. We see the three of them stop and look up. And then they start making their way into the Creel House. Fade to black, and the end of chapter eight, and the end of Papa. Well, kids, what did we learn in this episode? I jotted down a few notes here just to kind of review, uh, we learned that you can apparently fly a helicopter from Russia to Alaska, at least according to Yuri. We learned that the Russians have multiple monsters. Some they keep in tanks, others they dissect alive to study. We also learned that the Russians have this strange dust, sand, shadow monster thing that's trapped we learn there's a place called Warzone where you can buy whatever you want, whether you're a school paper editor or a stupid basketball player. We learn Robin's crush has a boyfriend with terrible hair. We learn that Steve wants a big family. We learn that Brenner's obsession with the Upside Down and the Void was not solely the, the Soviets. No, no. He always held out hope that Henry was still out there. And Brenner, he is the monster. He is. Though he did save Eleven at the end. We still love Owens, and we still hate Sullivan. And we know our Hawkins crew has a crazy, crazy plan 
to use Max's bait to lure out Vecna, and then while he's psychically chasing Max, go to his physical body in the Upside Down and kill him. Seems, uh, seems easy enough. And we know that Eleven needs to somehow get there as soon as possible to help out. Well, well, my friends. What a wonderful episode, huh? Whew. I am just... I am spent. That was a doozy. And, and you know what's crazy? Did you know the next one is even an hour longer? So you need to, if you have an Android, go clear your cache out, delete your junk files, make sure you have enough space. Unless you're streaming it, then, you know, do whatever you want. That's fine. But if you're downloading it, make sure you have enough space for the next episode. Because at one point I thought, should I do this in two parts? Like Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Part 2? No. No. I'm just going to give you one long, long episode where you can just take breaks and, you know, uh, listen at your leisure. And I do appreciate all the listens that I've been getting. Uh, The fact that people are responding to this, it says two things. It says... You actually like the show, and I really appreciate it, but it also, it's the power of Stranger Things. Um, I've done other podcasts. I do podcasts for other shows. I, I like watching other shows, but nothing makes me feel like Stranger Things, and nothing gets a response uh, like when I talk about Stranger Things. So it's just, it it makes me feel so good. And I just, from the bottom of my soul. I thank you. Uh, I'm thinking you're probably going to hear from me in about a week again. That's that's my guess for the big finale. Now, if you're in the future, you, it's there already. And congratulations on being in the future. I hope it's as good as uh, television and movies have promised since I was a child. But for those of you who just listened uh, recently, you just I just put this up Saturday morning and you're, you're listening to it uh, in the in the mid. Uh, what is it? July. I have no idea what date it is anymore. Days mean nothing. Oh, July. It's July 9th. I started this on July 8th. It's July 9th. Um, I would guess, you know, next weekend again, because this one I feel like I have to work on all week. I almost feel like I should hire interns. Just to, just to get this episode done. I'm not going to do that. going to do it all from my kitchen table like I always do. But the important thing is that I get it out and I do my best to give you an, a show that you in, can enjoy. And you can listen to again and again. You can tell all your friends, maybe three of your enemies, all about it. And that's it. This is now where I realize I'm rambling. I'm tired. And I'm ready to go to bed. So, my friends, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Geek Mentality. You can find the show on Twitter at Stranger D Pod. We have a Facebook page. It's just simply Fans Not Experts. That's because everything I do can be found at fansnotexperts.com. But I even bought a domain. StrangerDangerPodcast.com. It just points back to the to the podcast on fans not experts. But 
I thought it was cool to have my own domain, StrangerDangerPodcast.com. And if you go to StrangerDangerPodcast.com slash hotline, you can leave me a voicemail. Please do. I miss hearing from you. I want to hear you. Tell me your thoughts. Send me your questions. Send me your ideas. Or just say hi. And I think with that, it's time to say goodbye. So, my friends, once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for following. Thank you for subscribing. Stay stranger, my friends. And remember, do not support the Hawkins High basketball team. It seems like every single person on that team is an asshole except for Lucas Sinclair. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.